Well, I want to say uh, thank you to those of you who had expressed your condolences to me and uh, my family regarding the passing of my mom. Uh, There's a picture that was taken uh, probably two or three years ago up at Horsetooth, and uh, that's my mom. Uh, She's Sylvia, and uh, we think she contracted COVID around Christmas Eve, around Christmas, and uh, she began exhibiting symptoms on January 4th. I only know that because on the notepad next to her computer, she wrote down the symptoms that she started experiencing, and she fought it at home uh, for about two weeks until January 17th, when uh, due to labored breathing, my brother had to call the ambulance in the middle of the night, and uh, they whisked her off to the hospital, and she remained there until the morning of January 30th, when she took her last breath. So, you know, whenever we grieve the loss of a loved one, one thing that we always do is reflect. And reflecting is a healthy thing to do when we grieve. And as my brother and I uh, went through my mom's belongings, We did a lot of reflecting by looking at pictures and revisiting milestones that my mom enjoyed over the course of her life. And as we reflected, we remembered. And uh, this serves as a great segue to the Jewish festivals that we've been learning about over the past month or so. Because one thing that the Jewish people are really good at is remembering and reflecting. It's something that is actually woven into the very fabric of who they are as people. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9 tells us, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not, what? Forget the things your eyes have seen, or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. As God's chosen people, they were a people on a journey, a journey out of bondage in Egypt on their way to a permanent home in the promised land. And for 40 years, The Lord supplied their every need. He fed them supernaturally with manna. He provided water for them from a rock and caused their clothes not to wear out. They had everything, everything. They had nothing but God, and yet he was enough. And it's not enough for them to just write down the truths of God or to memorize large passages of Scripture that Jewish people are well known for, or to just ponder by remembering what their ancestors had gone through. No. 
God, being a creative God, knows that we as people, we learn best through object lessons, through lived experiences. So what God does is he commands the Jewish people to several times a year to take part in festivals. These large scale immersive experiences. And he does that so that they will not forget their reliance on and their relationship with God. An example of this remembering is found in one of the central sayings of observing a Passover Seder. In each and every generation, let each person regard him or herself as though they had emerged from Egypt. Isn't that good? As Jewish people enjoy the Seder meal, they know that each food item has symbolism attached to it. And they do that so that they never forget. Howard Savronsky, he's president of the Jewish Federation. He says, remembrance is a significant theme in Jewish life. As Jews, we are asked to remember the events that transformed a group of disenfranchised slaves into a powerful people that has not only survived thousands of years of adversity, but today can celebrate significant contributions to the global community and pride in the Jewish state of Israel. We are likewise urged to remember the shared values that bind us together. In the Fellowship of the Ring, J.R.R. Tolkien, he wrote, don't adventures ever have an end? I suppose not. Someone else always has to carry on the story. The Jewish people are really, really good at carrying on the story. And that's why Jews around the world, in not forgetting the Holocaust and fighting against anti-Semitism, what do they say? What do they say? Never again. Never again. Remembering is what, it's what enforces the fusion of the past with the present. And remembering is what the festivals are all about. Now, to be fair, remembering is not just unique to Jewish culture. In American culture, we remember and we observe holidays throughout our year as well, right? We celebrate the 4th of July, uh, remembering our independence from King George in England. We observe Memorial Day to remember those who have given their lives for our freedoms. We remember Veterans Day to, to be mindful of the veterans that served uh, to protect our freedom. Remembering is important. So tonight, we come to the Feast of Tabernacles. In John chapter 7, it reads, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? The festival referred to in this passage is the Feast of Tabernacles. 
And we see here Jesus being a a good practicing Jew. I'm sure he participated in all of the Jewish festivals. He knew that the festivals were and still are important to the Jewish community because of the way they foster uh, the relationship between the Jews and God and also the way they build a sense of community amongst the Jewish people. So tonight, I'll share with you uh, a few insights on this particular festival and why it's so important to Jewish people around the world. One of my favorite commentators, he says this. He says, we, we see here also the great social good God intended in the Sabbath and in the feasts. In other ancient cultures, there was no day off. And there were no holidays. Here, God commands both holidays and vacation days, all centered on him. This centering on God by way of the festivals are all part of the annual rhythms of the Jewish calendar. And these annual markers serve as a reminder not just on a calendar, but also so that the Jewish people can experientially be reminded of their relationship with God and with one another. It's so rich, isn't it? The Hebrew people, they have an entire year, an entire year that is built around reminding them of how God has interacted with them throughout history. Remember, there is Purim, which celebrates the deliverance of the Jewish people from the wicked, uh, what was his name? Haman, remember? In the days of Queen Esther in Persia. Passover celebrates the deliverance of the Jewish people from the slavery in Egypt. Rosh Hashanah celebrates the Jewish New Year. Yom Kippur is the holiest day of the year. Shabbat is the weekly observance of rest. And then the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost commemorates when the law was given to Moses on Mount Sinai and celebrates God's provision to his people. Now, you might be thinking, this is what I've been thinking. This has not been an easy uh, sermon to prepare for by any means. Uh, Because I was thinking, and you might be thinking this also. Jewish festivals, what's the big deal, right? I mean, because as Christians, as evangelicals, as Gentiles, we don't participate in the Jewish festivals. But it's important that we as Christ followers learn about the festivals. Because the more that you and I as evangelicals can learn about Judaism the better we will be as followers of Christ. Because, of course, Christianity is rooted in Judaism, right? So if something is important to our Jewish friends, then it should be important to us as well. There's a great quote that I came across as I was preparing for tonight's message. David Brickner the executive director of Jews for Jesus, he sums up the Jewish festivals in this way. They tried to kill us. We won. Let's eat. (laughs) 
<laughs> Isn't that great? So that's kind of the festivals in a nutshell right there. The Feast of Tabernacles is one of the three, what is known as the pilgrimage festivals. It's known as a pilgrimage festival because back in the day, Jews were required to travel or make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival. Now, when I hear the term, you might be like me, when I hear the term Feast of Tabernacles, I get and I understand feasts because I happen to really like food, but I don't know exactly what a tabernacle is. Anybody else like that? When I'm, I'm familiar with the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, right? So when I hear tabernacle, I immediately start thinking choir. But the Feast of Tabernacles doesn't have anything to do with choirs. Now, some of you may know this, uh, but a tabernacle is a temporary shelter. In Hebrew, it is known as Sukkot. And the term tabernacle appears 113 times in the scriptures. Okay, so now we have feasts and we have temporary shelters. So how does all this make sense, right? Well, this particular festival has been known by many different names. It's been known as the Feast of Ingathering, the Feast of Yahweh, the Feast to Yahweh, and the Feast of Booths. So when you hear any of those terms, they're all referring to the Feast of Tabernacles. To fully understand this festival, we need to look at its origin. So let, let's look at a passage from a book that we all tend to skip over, and that's the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 23. This is the beginning of this festival. So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you have gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of Sabbath rest, and the eighth day also is a day of Sabbath rest. On the first day, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival for the Lord, to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters. For seven days, all native born Israelites are to live in such shelter. So your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. So this festival appears to have a twofold purpose to it. First, it's a celebration devoted to the harvest. And for us in northern Colorado, where agriculture is such an important part of our, our culture and the region in which we live, we get this, right? How many of you grew up farming? 
Yeah, yeah. My mom grew up potato farm in northern Maine. Uh, with us growing corn and wheat and beans and barley and all kinds of other crops, uh, having a good year of crops is important. And farmers everywhere celebrate a good crop. Being an agrarian society, the Jews would celebrate immediately after gathering the grain and pressing the wine. It was a celebration of the fact that God had brought rain upon the land and produced bountiful crops. So God instituted Sukkot as a reminder to the Israelites that dependence upon him was not something that ended when they entered into the promised land. That even after a good harvest, the people need to remember year after year after year, the temporal and fragile nature of this life. And the fact that ultimately we must rely on God to provide for our needs. This festival, it lasts seven days and usually takes place in late September or early October. And to observe the festival, Jewish people are supposed to build a temporary shelter, a temporary structure, much like that one that our great facility crew uh, about two weeks ago I uh, talked to our facility director, Todd, and I said, Todd, I'm teaching on the Feast of Tabernacles. How about you build a tabernacle? He was like, I'm on it. So he and his crew, they built that. And I'm so appreciative and thankful for them giving us a great visual of what a tabernacle might look like. So they build this to remember to reflect upon what their forefathers went through. And Jewish people will live in this sort of temporary structure for an entire week. And these temporary shelters are a reminder of the temporary nature of our lives. And yet they also point to an eternal home yet to come. And I was reminded of the temporal nature of life recently, uh, a couple of Fridays ago, I uh, officiated at the memorial service of a young guy who's 31 years old who passed away unexpectedly. And then the very next day, my mom passed away. Just a reminder that our lives are temporary. And the Feast of Tabernacles, these temporary shelters serve as a visual reminder of that fact. The second purpose of this festival is that it commemorates the period of the wilderness wanderings directly following the exodus from Egypt, hence the tabernacle. We know that for 40 years, the Hebrew people wandered in the desert prior to reaching the promised land. Numbers chapter 14, it reads, that's for your children that you said would be taken as plunder. I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in the wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, 
One year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community, which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in this wilderness. Here they will die. Isn't it interesting that God ordained for this festival to be a yearly memorial to the Israelites' disobedience? Now, just think about that for a minute. Think of the one time in your life that you were disobedient to God. You got it? I mean, for me, I had a lot, so a lot to choose from. Now imagine God telling you, every year you're going to commemorate your disobedience to me. How would you feel? Oh gosh, it's that time of year again, I screwed up. That's not what this is. That's not what the Feast of Tabernacles is about. It's not what any other feast or festival is about. Remember, any of the festivals are but a small piece of the story of God. These feasts, these festivals are always about God. Always. And I tend to forget that when I read the scriptures because I get so, so narrow-minded and focused on whatever particular story I'm reading that I forget that that story I'm reading is not about the people in the story. It's always about God, how God interacted, how God interceded on behalf of people. So the Feast of Tabernacles is not a yearly reminder to the Jewish people how they screwed up, but instead is a reminder to them that in spite of their disobedience, God showed himself to be faithful. Amen? That is so good. And the Jewish people, every year, they remind themselves of God's faithfulness, of God's goodness. I love that song, your love never fails. God is a God of second chances. And that is the good news for all of us. Rabbi Irving Greenberg, in his book, The Jewish Way, he says, Passover celebrates a brave departure through a festive meal. Sukkot marks the hasty lunches and endless wandering in the desert. Sukkot expresses the deeper exodus, the reflective gritty days of marching during which a new generation grew up. Freedom came as the end result of pitching tents and taking them down over the course of 40 years. Can you imagine pitching a tent and taking it down every day for 40 years? Sukkot celebrates a seemingly 40-year journey. Passover is the holiday of faith, but Sukkot is the holiday 
of faithfulness. That's something to write down. And that's a great reminder for all of us. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 13 says, when we are faithless, God is what? Faithful. God is faithful even when you're not. Even when I'm not, God is faithful. So for 40 years, the Jewish people wandered. And in their wandering, they became really good at living in temporary shelters or tabernacles. The other interesting thing to note here is the important role that water plays in the Feast of Tabernacles. It plays an important role because water played such an important role in the Exodus journey. During the Exodus migration out of Egypt, there were three particular occasions where water played an important role in the story. The first, you remember, the Jews, they're heading out of Egypt. They're thinking, it's touchdown time, right? But what is standing in front of them? The Red Sea. The Red Sea is in front of them, and then all of a sudden, they look behind them, and who's, who's chasing after them? Pharaoh and his army. Well, they started complaining to Moses about their predicament. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have led us out in the wilderness to die? Didn't we tell you when we were in Egypt to leave us alone? so that we could continue serving the Egyptians. Wow. It would have been better for us to have died back there than to die here. There's another example. After the Israelites had been in the wilderness of Shur for three days without finding water, they came to Mara. You remember what Mara means, right? Mara means bitter. The water was bitter. They couldn't drink it. So the people again complained against God. I would have. <laughs> and finally, when the Israelites came to Rephidim, they complained because, again, there was no water to drink. And they asked Moses, why have you brought us out of Egypt? Was it to kill us, our children and our livestock with thirst? Their complaints were serious enough that Moses thought that they were going to stone him. So as Jewish people go about celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, they are reminded of the important role that water played in their journey out of Egypt. And also, just naturally, because water is so important to providing good crops, the Jewish people would have a ceremony or Hoshana Rabbah during the Feast of Tabernacles. And this ceremony, this was a big deal. It was a big deal. There would be a procession of people led by priests. They would make their way down to the pool of Siloam and draw water in a golden flask. They would then travel over to the water gate outside of the temple, and on their return journey, a shofar would be blown, and near the altar, the water would be poured into a bowl, and wine would be poured into another. The ceremony was meant to thank God for his bounty, 
and to ask him to provide rain for the crops in the coming year. Another important aspect of the Feast of Tabernacles was a ceremony of lights. And these lights were huge, 75-foot-tall lampstands that were visible throughout the entire city. Here's a, a representative of what that may have looked like. These guys, there would be ladders on, oh, you see the guy on the right there. He's making his way up and he's holding uh, 10 gallons of oil that he would pour into the, into the lamps. The lamps, the wicks of the lamps were the old priestly garments. So they would turn the priestly garments into these uh, into the wicks for the lights. And these lights could be seen for miles and miles around. It was quite a busy festival with lots of activity going on. And I'm going to come back to, to both of these in just a minute because both of these elements tie into Jesus. Now, a popular thing for us to do as evangelicals is to see Jesus in every custom and tradition of Judaism. And while I think that that's a noble endeavor, it's not always entirely an accurate thing to do. However, there are some interesting parallels that I'd like to point out when it comes to this particular festival. The first comes from the book of John, chapter 7. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. It just so happens that on that last or great day of the feast, that's when the water ceremony would reach its climax. The priests would encircle the altar seven times and then pour out the water with great pomp and ceremony. Hoshana Rabbah. When translated, that means save now. Can you imagine the uproar this would have caused for Jesus to stand up and say, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink as the priests are pouring a water offering on the altar. The religious elite, the Pharisees, who would have been in earshot and heard that, they would have knew exactly what Jesus was doing. He was equating himself to Yahweh. Another example is when Jesus said in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Is it possible? Is it possible that Jesus spoke those words to the crowd as he was standing next to those 75 foot tall lampstands? People hearing Jesus talk and seeing the burning lampstands would be reminded again of the Exodus journey out of Egypt where God led his people in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to keep them from wandering 
in the darkness. And here's Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Interesting parallels for sure. The Feast of Tabernacles teach us that just as the Israelites were on a journey out of bondage, heading into the promised land, so also you and I are on a journey as well. It teaches us about the importance of remembering. Remembering that everything is temporary in this life and that we shouldn't hold on to things too tightly, right? Building a tabernacle once a year serves as a reminder of the reality that the lives that we build for ourselves and all the things that we're able to acquire in this life all come from the very hand of God. The Feast of Tabernacles also serves as a reminder of how God showed his faithfulness to bringing the Israelites through the hard times. And we should be encouraged that God is faithful to us even in the times that we're not faithful to him. As remembering is a central component to the Feast of Tabernacles, so also is remembering central to us as we take part in communion. It's at the communion table that we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. And it's at the communion table that we try to identify with Christ in his suffering. And we remember the words of the prophet Isaiah, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So as the band plays, <clears throat> I want to encourage you to make your way to a communion table. We have a couple up here, and I think we have one or two in the back. The gluten-free elements are in the back. So uh, go and get the elements, come back to your chairs, and we'll take part in communion together. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and stand if you're able. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church of Corinth, says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for our gathering again tonight. Thank you, God, for what we learned about this important festival, the Feast of Tabernacles. And God, may we be encouraged and reminded as we leave here tonight of the temporary nature of our lives, of how everything does come from you, and we praise you for that. God, may you bless us as we part ways, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, just real quickly, it has been snowing pretty, pretty good outside. Uh, our great facility team, they have resalted the pathways out there. But just be careful. God bless everyone. Go in peace. Thank you.